Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. This week's Lawn Art Marathon winner is Stacy Colston of Indianapolis, Indiana. Stacy will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at Lawn Order Podcast. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Brady Carlson, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedurals, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're back on The Mothership, Law & Order, Season 11, Episode 21, Brother's Keeper. You think Callie's trying to take the rap for his brother? His offer to plead makes me think so. Callie clearly killed Mr. Wazeri. Let's find out where Donald was when Mr. Roy was killed. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and the Undisclosed Addendum Podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. I cannot wait to get out of here and go to the driving range, Kevin. How are you you today? Uh, I'm good because we have our special guest whose memory about Law & Order is so good. He understands your super inside jokes, even if he hasn't seen the episode in a while. <laughs> Probably the only one. And we have to have a more serious discussion about that, Rebecca. <laughs> but he's from Wisconsin Public Radio, author and returning champion, Brady Carlson. Yay! Hello, Brady. Hey, what color was the car? Please tell me what color was the car. <laughs> well, bullshit, because you know that. The car was black. <laughs> and black town car. Uh, you actually do have an encyclopedic memory, do you not? You can you can brag. I have uh, not to brag, but yeah, I kind of do now remember everything, and I have just had to make peace with that. Sometimes I remember more than I actually want to. What was the most unusual episode or unusual scene from Law and Order? Oh, um, well, I think it would have to be when they did that multi part episode where they sent briscoe and curtis to california like three times <laughs> yeah. and they kept trying to sign uh curtis to be like a security consultant for script writing in hollywood <laughs> and the the hollywood like producer that was having dinner with him kept trying to get him to go to bed with her even though he was trying to reconcile with his wife and she's just sitting there going look it's just sex okay it's just sex and he's like you know you know know, here's like you know the whole point of him being on the show is because he's you know such a hot dude and He's like, well, you know, actually, uh, I'm trying to get back together with my wife. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, there it is. this is so, this is so far removed from, you know, what Dick Wolf used to say that Law and Order was all about. Is like, we're taking all of the drama out, and we're just going to watch these people do their jobs, and then all of a sudden, it's like, here's Curtis getting propositioned in well, Hollywood. 
nine years later, he doesn't have the memory that you do. So <laughs> at that point, he just probably went for it. Now, Brady, you've been on twice before, actually three times if you include the emergency rerun, because Rebecca <laughs> deleted the show file and we had to re-record. I remember that. Yes, of course you do. Now, you have said that you're, well, we've already asked you about your favorite teams. You said Briscoe and Logan, and your favorite prosecutorial team is M- McCoy and Kincaid. So I want to know, of all the franchises, which two cops are your second favorite detective team. Second favorite law and order detective team. <laughs> My second favorite detective team. I'm very old school, but I have a very soft spot in my heart for Lupo and Bernard, mm. the last wow. pair on classic original recipe. They were terrific. This was a show that, you know, had been on for what, 600 years, mm-hmm. 700 yeah. years. I mean, it had been a long Season time. 19. And, yeah. You know, it's it was sort of it's sort of like how every time there's a new class of eighth graders, everybody goes, "Oh, Saturday Night Live is better than it's ever been." It's totally back. <laughs> it's Law and Order like was that, except for thirty and forty somethings, and right. and those guys were terrific. Mm-hmm. And who is your second favorite prosecutorial team? Second favorite Law and Order District Attorney prosecutorial team. <laughs> My second favorite prosecutorial team. Um, who did I say before? McCoy and the one Kincaid. thing I don't remember. <laughs> McCoy said, and okay. Kincaid, yeah. McCoy and Kincaid, yeah. I, I love those two as they loved each other. I did also have uh, a thing for Ben Stone and Paul Robinette. Mm. Good, good. Those guys were pretty dry and, you know, it was sort of like uh, two philosophy professors sort of running <laughs> the, uh, the operations of the district attorney's office, <laughs> but, um, but in a good way. Plus, you, you, you know, can't. They could, they could be fun. Plus, you can't argue with uh, Robinette's high top fade. <laughs> I I accidentally once. This is one of the things I wish I couldn't remember. I accidentally once got that haircut when I was a freshman uh, in college. Oh my god! <laughs> As an homage, it was my it was my first haircut. I have had the same haircut my entire life, just short because I don't. Want, I have super curly hair. I don't want it to grow out instead of down. And I have just always said, please make it as short as possible. The, somehow the guy misunderstood what I said and said I wanted it to be flat like flat top, <laughs> not just flat like super short. And so we get to the end of this haircut and he goes, there's your flat haircut. And I look at it and I was like, oh, my God. But for some reason, I did not feel confident enough in, in my ability to just say, actually, I just wanted short hair. I just said, okay, and I paid him, and I went off, and I went home, and I took my shaving razor, my electric shaving razor, and I just sort of, like, trimmed down the corners. Oh, mistake. Mistake. Yeah. (laughs) All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, Law & Order, Season 11, Episode 21, Brother's Keeper. Well, we begin with two women golfers fighting, so of course they'd make them lesbians, too. (laughs) (laughs) They discover the body of James Malloy, assassinated and caught on video while hitting at the driving range. Struggle? Not so as you notice. Must have snuck up behind him. Caught him unawares. First thing they teach you, keep your eye on the ball. Malloy liked cocaine, liked women, and liked to skim money from the medical supply shakedown racket. He ran with Irish mobster Callie Lonigan. The cabbie that picked up the shooter points to Callie's photo, and Green says, thanks, maybe it's safer for you to go to Sierra Leone for a while. (laughs) (laughs) When they confront Callie, he says, he's got a pretty good alibi. He'd been tailed by the FBI, and the agents won't say much, just that Callie wasn't there. Van Buren tells Briscoe and Green to move on. Among the photographs of women with Malloy is a girl who recently OD'd and just happens to be Callie Lonigan's niece. That's when the cabbie gets whacked, 
And Green threatens Callie because now it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> the bullet from the cabbie doesn't match the one from the Malloy murder, but it does match a gun used by Callie to kneecap one of his boys six years ago. The detective learned since then Callie has been accused of many crimes, and the FBI refuses to arrest him for anything. <gasps> So occasionally they like to try out, so how dumb can we make our concerned citizen at the beginning? <laughs> you mean the doofy security guard at the golf place? <laughs> Whoa, what happened to him? You know this guy? Mr. Malloy, semi-regular, couple, three nights a month. What does this camera do? Record your swings so you can see how bad you are. Whoa. The sleepiest golf club clerk in New York City. Yeah. He must have said whoa like five times. That guy's a doofus. Super doofus. How did he get that job? Who would hire him? That job does not seem that bad. <laughs> Who would hire that dude? The late night shift at the driving range. <laughs> but the whole like opening scene, this is like a classic. Let's throw a whole bunch of stuff together oh, yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. I don't I don't understand. I mean, it's like one of those things. It's like an inside joke. Like, let's have lesbians going to play golf and fighting with each other on the way. Because it was too dark to play tennis. Is that? <laughs> she was just being friendly. She was like totally checking you out. You say that about everybody who makes eye contact with me. <laughs> I don't know what it was like very hack need like how do we get how do we make this interesting but i think that they were trying to be woke for 2000 whatever and they're like we're gonna bring this couple we're gonna make them lesbians and just america's gonna deal with it they're just like us they bicker about petty petty jealous things on their way to the golf range (laughs) if these kinds of encounters weren't so hackneyed then i would think that they were actual encounters that law and order writers had either had themselves or had overheard other people having when they were at the golf course it's like these law and order cold opens are like the original humans of New York. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And and Brady, I think that Briscoe knows an awful lot about golf for someone who'd rather be at the racetrack. Well, of course, Lenny, his first reaction when they're looking back at the footage of the murder is like, he, well, like, first I need to critique the dead guy's golf swing. You know, his, how good of a, a golfer is he? Not bad for a weekend duffer. Could keep his right elbow tucked in a little better. <laughs> and, and since we're talking about that footage, can I also just point out, m- maybe poor Art, the security guy is not the only dumb person at this course, because if you watch that clip, here's this guy just mindlessly hitting golf balls and the shooter walks right up to him. He's not sneaking up to him from behind, walks right up to him and shoots him in the face. And he never notices this guy, <laughs> this large guy in a hoodie holding a gun to his forehead, never reacts to it at all. Well, Brady, that's because he's doing a good job keeping his head down for the swing. We he's all got, know that's what he's supposed got, he's, to do. He's got intense focus. Yeah. Intense focus. He's watching it go. He's like, wow, that's a beauty. Well, <laughs> at least he was happy in his last second. Be the ball, Malloy. Be the ball. It is a very convenient way to catch a murderer on tape, right? It's yeah. just like It doesn't just show you how crappy your golf swing is. It shows you your whole body, everyone around you. It's basically like a security can that you have to pay for. Yeah. Now, I'm just going to skip over the fact that we don't know how the shooter knew this guy was going to be at the Doesn't driving matter. range. Doesn't yeah, we're just going to skip over that and get right to the cabbie. <laughs> the script moves away from that quickly, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so they find the cabbie, who may as well be wearing a red shirt because, you know, he's he's not long for this world. <laughs> you know when a cop says, maybe you should get out of town. Go to your war-torn country. You should 100% get out of town when a cop tells you to do that on this show. You got family back there? My mother and little brother. Maybe you should go visit them for a while. DA can bring you back when they need you. You can't go home. My father and two sisters were killed by the rebels. They chopped my brother's hands off. 
It would be safer for you in Sierra Leone is not a <laughs> phrase you often hear people who survive to the end of the episode. Yeah, it's pretty serious shit. It would be safer for you in the courthouse steps in the Law and Order universe than it would be for you <laughs> <laughs> standing right here. Staying right there. <laughs> It'd be safer for you at Hudson University than it would be for you to be right here. <laughs> they cut his brother's hands off. He's like, I got to do two or three shifts, man. Yeah. I just Look, yeah. I got to work. You know, I don't have time for this. I liked Ed's immediate bonding with the dude, though. I mean, he immediately, they were like, they were tight immediately. Yeah, I'm going to go to two, like, what are the odds here? First, that Green spent time in Sierra Leone. And- <laughs> Where are you from, Sebastian? Sierra Leone. Really? Where about? Balaba. Well, that's near the border, right? You know my country. My father traveled. I went and stayed with him once on the coast of Freetown. And then second, apparently Briscoe has arrested everyone in New York City <laughs> at some point in time. Wait a minute. Don't tell me. I'll get it. You collared me a long time ago. I was a kid. 47th Street and 12th Avenue. I was walking a beat in Hell's Kitchen. And you were playing with matches for fun and profit. Hey, like I told the judge at the time, I just happened to have that gas can in my hand. You waltzed in, slapped the cuffs on me, and put me in the paddy wagon. <laughs> the thing about Briscoe is, is that he has arrested every perp that has ever come into New York City. And also, every one of his partners has turned out to be crooked at some point. <laughs> at least Got the him. ones from before the show. Exactly, exactly. He somehow remains untouched. <laughs> so this introduces us to Callie Lonigan, mm. and we're going to talk more about him and the actor, et cetera, et cetera. However, I think that he's kind of a fun bad guy. Your friend doesn't understand the lubricating value of small talk, does he? Just for fun. Wednesday night, where were you from, say, 9 o'clock on? The night Jim got whacked? Guy was making me a pot of money. You think I'd take him out? You'd take out your grandmother if she was cooking the books. Jim was on the fiddle? I did not know that. That's uh, disappointing. So charming. I love him. I love his uh, way with the words. He has the uh, gift of the Blarney, as they say. He's gone full Blarney. (laughs) Yeah. He does understand the lubricating nature of small talk, too. (laughs) He's no social liability. (laughs) But I think sometimes, you know, the bad guy is usually obscured. And in, in this case, we'll find out that part of him was you know i'm also thinking of like larry miller's appearances yeah where oh totally you got somebody who's really charming and gets close to chewing on the scenery but is just no, like he chews the scenery it's not close that's actually what's but what the writers is. definitely enjoyed writing for this character totally even though once again in the most like hackneyed thing ever like is every mobster like their their desk is always the table in the back room of the bar that they own like always like always right it doesn't matter if you're italian or irish or russian on this show if you want to catch someone who's a mobster, go to the bar that they own and their desk will be some table in the back. Yeah. Always. A hundred percent of the time. Well, that's the advantage of being able to, to work for yourself. You know, you don't <laughs> have to go to somebody else's cubicle farm. <laughs> yeah. If, if Lonigan had decided to go straight, maybe he could have found, you know, the WeWork of 2001. <laughs> right, 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 right. And but he's also uh, a job creator because he has a bodyguard named named Buddha. I love Buddha. <laughs> I love Buddha. <laughs> hey, Buddha, don't you ever get bored sitting in the same spot day after day? No. You know, come to think of it, I do get kind of a peaceful feeling being near you. It must be your aura. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Buddha's like, you don't have to even talk to let me know that you're cops. Like, I love that. I love Buddha. I love everything about him. <laughs> I mean, honestly, anytime that the main villain on the show says something like, you're going to love this, fellas, when he's talking about his alibi, you're going to plot right there. I'm like, let the man walk. I don't care who he killed. <laughs> you know, it's in the same way that like when I would hear Captain Craig and tell the detectives, you got bupkis immediately. I'm like, no, they got to arrest this guy. I have to have the total opposite reaction here. It's like once you say plots. 
yeah. and you're the villain, I still love you. Exactly. <laughs> He's very lovable all around. And he eats feta cheese omelets. That was his alibi <laughs> for this murder. <laughs> That's something he has in common with none other than Ira Glass, the host mm. of This American Life. That's right. Could have also been his alibi. Yeah. Act one, the shooting. <laughs> Kelly Lonigan has been a gangster in Law and Order New York for years. But one day he runs into Jonathan Goldstein and decides to go straight. Please stay with us. I know for those on the podcast, we bleeped out some words. <laughs> All right, so for the second week in a row, he's here, and he's definitely our special guest star. Do it, Kermit. It's our very special guest star. Uh, Academy Award nominee, Michael O'Keefe. Yay! Noonan! <laughs> Be the ball, Callie. Be the ball. Yeah. You're not guys. being the ball, Callie. <laughs> uh, he was Danny on Caddyshack and Fred on Roseanne. And yeah, we talked about this last week. Formerly handsome. Where were you on Wednesday night? You're going to love this, fellas, I guarantee. You're going to plots. Yeah. Look, I think when you are an actor and you have to do the thing where you are playing your twin, it can be very gimmicky. I think... The interaction wasn't all that bad. Oh, are you kidding? I mean, at the end. Are you kidding? It was to me like this is a thing that people on TV who make TV like back in the 80s and 90s used to love to do, right? Like twin scenes. I know this was huh. later than that, but it was like such a classic, like single camera, multiple angles. How do we make them different? I know. We'll do someone that spray on hair on the twin and give him glasses. <laughs> Let him shave. <laughs> I want to know who at the network was giving them notes like, you know what we really need is more special effects on Law and Order. <laughs> Twins. Twins. Yeah. Why haven't we tried that one yet? The only time I've ever really been fooled, right, by twin stuff yeah. was the first time I saw The Social Network and I also didn't know who Army Hammer was. And I was like, man, those twins were really good. Like that movie did it super well in yeah. a way that like no TV show has ever done. And this is a great example of it. You weren't fooled by the parent trap? <laughs> No, uh, I, was not. I was. I thought, well, those are two great girls. Yeah. <laughs> Haley Mills, and they have the same name, too. What are the odds? <laughs> Haley Mills and Haley Mills. <laughs> so we have, uh, again, uh, two weeks in a row, the same hey, it's that guy. Second, hey, it's that guy. It's Robert John Burke. Uh, we know him as Tucker, the AIB detective from SVU, but here he is, FBI agent Ron Inez. You know what they say about cops and criminals? A lot in common. Is especially true in our neighborhood. I feel like he's cheating on Tucker. I'm going to be real. Well, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he has had three Law & Order appearances in addition to his 29 SVU appearances. Here he is a supporting actor, but I will say in his career he did get one good lead role. Ready, Rebecca? Yes. He was RoboCop. Three. So, like, he was cast because of his chin's resemblance Price. to Peter Weller's chin? Yeah. I guess so. His chin had the role. Not not so much him, his chin. His chin was trying to reinterpret <laughs> the, the character. How did my chin make this its own? <laughs> He's also been a volunteer firefighter in Long Island since 2002. In real life? In real life. And he is now a captain. Love him. I love him. Do you know who else was in RoboCop 3, by the way? <laughs> no, who? Are you going to say Jill Hennessy? My beloved Jill Hennessy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I got Dick Wolf's card here. You need to Who, do something. Who, by the Go. way, coincidentally, <laughs> is a twin. Are you sure? Oh, shit. Jill Hennessy. 
They didn't have to do the fucking thing where like you stand on this side of the window pane and we're marking that, and right. on the other side, that's that's where we're gonna pick up the shot, stitch it together. Just to go back to the twin thing for one second, they yeah. didn't did have to do as you said. His uh, twin like shaved, and he had like the different hair situation, uh, or whatever. The rosacea. They, they clearly had to like film all those see- scenes later. Like they couldn't film them at the same time. Correct. Right. Yeah. So it was like, all right, let's the lineup. And then it was like, okay, let's do it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> like two days later, after yeah. they finished all the oh, original Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Had to go fly back to Oneida. Oneida. Oh, whatever. It's one of those Oneida. crappy upstate New York towns. I'm sorry, is that, upstate is that New a York. More, is that a more prestigious university than Hudson? We are Hudson, where the bad guys go to school. <laughs> Oneida. It has to be. Do you think they? Do you think that like a student could transfer from Oneida to Hudson or vice versa? And like, would their credits carry over completely, or would there be some kind of hangup? Depends. Were they suspended? <laughs> so, does anybody recognize Cabby Sebastian Wazari? Nope. He looks like he's got blood on his jacket. I ask if he's okay. He tells me, mind my business. Okay, that's Tigo Bougre. Uh, right now, he's playing Catherine Zeta Jones' assistant in Queen America. It's a, show, it's a show on Facebook Watch. Oh, okay. Well, uh, which is, I understand why you might not have seen it. <laughs> <laughs> he made five Law and Order uh, appearances, including an episode called Brothers Keeper mm. on Criminal Intent. Really? So he got two on his card. Three more and he gets a free ride. <laughs> He's the Brady Carlson yeah. of the franchise. <laughs> <Yeah>. Utility <laughs> infielder. He could do it all. Yeah, yeah. This guy's so good he could play RoboCop 4. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Revenge of the chin. <laughs> Who is playing our librarian, Sally Jaspers? Anybody know? Those two were quite a pair when they were here. Wasn't anything they weren't into. Such as? Legend has it they stole the principal's desk one time. She was so loving about that FBI agent being such a great guy standing up for his friends and stealing the school principal's desk. (laughs) And yet she never managed to mention Callie hardly at all. I thought that was kind of a touching. She's having this fond memory. She's like, I'm not going to let the sort of ruinous criminal nature of this guy sort of tarnish my image of several decades ago in high school of boys being boys they were yeah, just boys you know, being boys they're just kids we gotta love them yeah she forgot one important detail though kelly was had a fucking twin brother <laughs> okay so the librarian her name is peggy pope and she played margaret in the movie nine to five as the drunk secretary with the 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 catchphrase had a girl <laughs> everyone says i'm going to get drunk she at a girl. <laughs> <laughs> now, I would like to see her lead in Robocop 5. <laughs> At a robot. <laughs> and Brady, lastly, can you tell me about Callie's defense attorney? Mr. Leningen's not pleading to crimes he didn't commit. What do you know about him? I know he has a name that will resonate with fans of this podcast and the 18 other podcasts that the two of you produce. The character's name? He's called Kevin Flynn. The character's name. The defense attorney is Kevin Flynn. He is. He the is. defense attorney is Kevin Flynn. Is that in the credits somewhere? Like, how would one even know that? IMDb? Well, you, <laughs> that's how I found out. I have no idea how Brady knows that. He just Brady, called him Kevin. Because so. Brady knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> he just, yeah, Callie just refers to him as Kevin cool it kevin <laughs> it's implied obviously yeah you may want to make a recording of that rebecca just in case you may need it in the future <laughs> cool it kevin cool it kevin 
Yeah, uh, this actor, his name is Stephen Rowe. He was in Basic Instinct as a uh, Eternal Affairs uh, cop. He was the partner of Mitch Pileggi, who you know from the X Files. Nobody remembers anything about Basic Instinct except that one thing that everybody <laughs> remembers about <laughs> Basic Instinct: <laughs> a giant twelve foot V on the screen. I I did want to point out that Rogers, the medical examiner, mm-hmm. is able to leave Frisco speechless with a wisecrack <laughs> when they're when they're looking at the the niece who died. So how'd she get here? Same as everybody, she died. I thought you of all people would appreciate that. And he just, he has no comeback. How often does that happen on this show? Frisco is usually the one who ends the scene and she leaves him just hanging there. Yeah. I thought if anyone would appreciate that, it would be you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so these guys are frustrated that the case leads to Callie, but they'd have to prove that the FBI agents are wrong. And Briscoe says, Well, maybe they're just covering their asses. It wouldn't be the first time some cop said screw it and went to have dinner instead of doing his job. And he's saying this while they're all eating pizza in a pizzeria. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pizza the size of the table, too. I mean, it's they're not just getting like a, you know, a 10 inch personal pan pie here. (laughs) They're eating what is arguably the largest pizza in New York City history. It's so big. That, like, I want to criticize Van Buren for cutting up her piece <laughs> with a fork and knife. <laughs> I am Except when she picks up the piece she cut off, it's the size of a regular slice of pizza. <laughs> but that's Manhattan pizza, isn't it? When you get a big floppy. There's a big floppy pie. Yeah. It is. One would, one would expect that the three of them, having lived in New York as long as they have, would each have just gotten a slice or two. Mm. But no, they went for they wanted to have the visual for some reason of this gigantic pizza in front of the three of them. And notice that Briscoe does fold his slice over. He does. Yeah. He does the right way. Yeah. And after Wazari, the cabbie is murdered. First off, Green starts to get pissed because this patrolman there keeps saying, It's a tough break, huh? Could happen to anyone. It's a luck of the draw, I guess. That's what you figure, idiot. Ah, tough break. <laughs> Could happen to anybody. Just luck of the draw, huh? <laughs> no <Shut> chance. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's personal. So, Shut up, Grady. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's personal. So they go to Callie's hangout, and Green jumps out of the car. Bad idea, detective. Lenny, get out of my way. Come on, come on. You guys look like you need couples counseling. And Briscoe keeps holding him back, telling him, hey, bad idea, detective. But I got to point out, Briscoe, you were the one who drove here. <laughs> you totally did not have to go to that bar and stop the car. You could have just driven right by. Your fucking fall, they, man. They didn't do anything there except go up and confront Callie in the most confrontational way possible. They didn't get out and Briscoe didn't Briscoe didn't pull Green aside and said, Okay, now we can ask some real questions. Shame. They just got out, yelled a little bit. And then drove away. Sacrifice for your family. I don't know the gentleman to whom. Who told you who the witness was, Callie? I don't know what you're ranting about. Settle up, because you're done. Settle up. Believe that. I love this scene because I mean I think you could see Logan doing this, and you could see Curtis doing this. And although, well, you know, later on Green just shoots some guy in order to get off the show. uh, This doesn't seem like Ed Green's personality, and so he's playing against type a little bit here. He doesn't have that, like, roiling pain just below the surface that a man with five daughters has when he has to go to the job every day. No, that's just (laughs) not who he is. (laughs) (laughs) But it seemed to have sparked something in the writers then, because later on in his run, that's when all of a sudden he's got a gambling problem, and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden they're, they're having these moments where he's 
trying to tamp down his tendency to go rogue and uh, <laughs> he didn't have that early on he was sort of the straight and narrow guy yep. who could still run and briscoe was the wisecracking guy you know it, talking about cast against type here's briscoe who at this point is huffing and puffing if they have to run a block and he's the one who's allegedly restraining Green from attacking <laughs> yeah. the suspect. The fittest law and order detective that ever was. <laughs> you just roll right over him. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Okay, let's look at the second half of this episode. With the FBI protecting Callie Lonigan, McCoy and Carmichael don't know if they can get justice for the murder victims. How sure are we that Lonigan is the murderer? Well, if he didn't kill Malloy, why kill the cab driver? We can't prove that he did. Well, it's all inferential. You don't have enough for an indictment on either killing. With the cabbie dead, we may never be able to tie Lonigan to Malloy's murder. We'll time to it. Green has taken Mr. Waziri's death very personally. So I thought you might have a quiet talk with the U.S. attorney, find out what's up with the FBI. I don't want to talk to anyone until we know who we can trust. The credit card of FBI agent Ronnie Innes shows that they were at dinner in Brooklyn when they were supposed to be tailing Callie in Queens. Turns out Callie was also at the dinner, talking about the great times they had together in high school. A new eyewitness, who obviously didn't hear what happened to the first eyewitness, <laughs> <laughs> says that she saw Callie flee the cab shooting in a town car. When Callie vanishes, the FBI agent in charge admits that they've been using him as an informant to take down the rival Gabizi crime family. Agent Ennis refuses to give up Callie's location and quits, instead of putting his informant in jail to be whacked by the mobsters he put away. Briscoe and Green fly to Oneida to arrest Callie at his brother Donald's house, but when Donald comes home, jaw drop, they look exactly alike. <gasps> so they each have motive, but Callie offers to plead to both murders. Why? Is it because Donald killed Malloy in order to avenge his daughter's death, and Callie killed Waziri to keep his brother from being caught? To the ultimate conference room climax, mm. where you sit on that side of the table, and I'll sit on this side of the table. <laughs> Callie will go down for killing the cab driver, but they knowingly can't charge him with murdering Malloy, and Donald won't confess to it. Back at Rikers, a Gabisi soldier kills Callie, just like he knew would happen. Mm. Okay, so they learned Callie and Ronnie go back to high school because there's this great picture of them in the yearbook together. <laughs> Good thing they're both child actors, huh? They both have headshots that they can cut out and put in and put in the yearbook. Is that how yearbooks were in the 70s? Like somebody would draw a photo, draw a cartoon of these guys and well, then like were, And if you were best friends, heads. there'd be like a cartoon of you like holding hands, jumping in the air together. It's so weird. <laughs> and, and the fact that they take the two that got into all these goofy exploits together, that they're stealing the principal's desk, but what we need to do is give them a full page in the school yearbook. <laughs> Those oh, no. are the two guys. That's always how it works. That's right. That was hashtag respect before there were hashtags. That's right. <laughs> Celebrating shenanigans. Well, Ronnie says he'd rather quit the FBI than tell you the location of somebody he doesn't know the location of. <laughs> For the last time. Where is he? I got no idea. Ron. No. 
Ain't nothing more to say on the subject. This is how we repay people who help us? We hang them out to dry? <laughs> you notice, like, no one ever, like, gives him, like, they're like, you're a good agent. Don't throw it away. I'm like, didn't he do that already? By, like, protecting his friend that he went to high school with and not telling anybody he went to high school with that So dude? basically saying... Don't get caught and throw your career away. You're a good agent, except for all the stuff you did while you were working. <laughs> now, who knew Carmichael was so sentimental, right? Callie just might be hiding upstate. Nora, if he's up there, I think Briscoe and Green would want to be there when he's brought in. Put them on the next flight. And Nora's like, sure, get those crazy kids on a plane at taxpayer uh, expense. First plane. <laughs> That's right. Don't even like make a phone call ahead of time to find out. Just, yeah. you know. He might not be there, guys. He might not be there. But let's put those guys in the first plane anyway. Well, I did check. It is a four-hour drive up. Okay. But it's a one-hour flight. Hmm. You From just tap on the 110. <laughs> yeah, just get on the 110 to Orlando Airport and you're good. Yeah. Yeah, where the pizzas are much smaller. <laughs> and I know you need to do this for television, but they pull up at the house and that's when the local cops start to debrief them. Kelly <laughs> was here for the girl's funeral. Other than that, nobody remembers ever seeing him before. What about since? Funny you should ask. He came to town again middle of last month. Mm, around the same time a lawyer got shot. <laughs> okay, we'll go knock on the door now. Yeah. Weird detail, though. Later in the episode, they're like, we have to find somebody who puts Callie in Oneida. And I'm like, didn't the local cop tell them that Callie was in Oneida? Like, you already have that person. The cops knew he was there. Like, what are you looking for? A dry, the dry cleaning person? Like, big no. picture, McCoy. Big picture. <laughs> so they do a lineup where they both get in the same lineup. <laughs> the best. This is one of my all-time favorite scenes in the history of this entire show. This is how you people amuse yourselves? You can see why we ask you to take your time. The man I saw is number four. How can you be sure? I was a nurse for 20 years. I noticed certain physical indicators. Yeah, number one and number four look alike. But number four's been a hard drinker most of his life. Probably ought to see a doctor about his liver. What does the woman say, the witness? Is this what you guys like to do to amuse <laughs> yourselves? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to start bringing all the twins in. Or fill a couple minutes in an hour-long drama. Either way. <laughs> Again, they have to test out the, uh, the equipment to make sure they can do this stupid thing where we line it up, stitch it together, and make it look like it's Star Wars. Yes. Brady, was not witness, was that witness not the best in her ability to tell the twins apart? Well, what's hilarious is that the entire episode is built on the fact that these two brothers look so much alike that the prosecutors and the cops can't figure out who did which murder. And here's this woman, she's like, oh, well, I'm a nurse. I know that guy has a huge drinking problem. They don't look alike at all. <laughs> they actually don't look that much alike. They're They're kind of different looking one of them has hair and one of them doesn't that kind of makes a difference glasses and... <laughs> but i guess in a parka they look the same they're like patty duke and kathy from the patty duke show <laughs> one's the wild one and the other one's totally reserved and just wants to listen to symphonies or whatever there's, there's like no comparison <laughs> now look if callie is this big mobster why is he the one doing all this shooting? <laughs> I don't know. Especially right? when he's trying to cover up the crimes of someone who looks exactly like him. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's got Buddha. He... <laughs> I, I was wondering, why didn't Buddha do it? And, and if he really was so hands-on, then why didn't Briscoe make a Caddyshack reference when he was first talking about that old collar? You know, he's like, he could have said, yeah, I collared you because there had been a lot of complaints, fooling around on the course, bad language, <laughs> smoking grass, poor caddying. <laughs> okay, I want to go back to this because it's not worth it having an actor playing twins mm. unless you can do the scene where they get 
in the same room together. I told you we got nothing to say. Kelly, I can speak for myself. You don't know how the game is played, Donnie. Maybe it's time I learned. Maybe it's time you shut up. Did I ever ask you for anything? All these years, did I? Yeah, plenty. Every time Pop came home drunk and you hid in your room with all those books. What did you think we were doing down there? Rearranging the furniture? It's a one-camera thing, and the way all the drama comes together is they are stitching individual performances together. Right. To make it Shot look like... Shot on different days. <laughs> well, no, no, no. <laughs> they're, they're in the same pizzeria, that cold slice oh, yes. of pizza, okay. right? Yeah. And then they shoot you know, Jerry Orbach, and then they shoot uh, Espatha Murgison, and then they put those two things together and make it look like it's happening at the same time. So, why is it so hard to believe that on a technical side, they can make this happen dramatically with the same actor playing two different characters. Why are you rolling your eyes, Carmichael? Uh, I think there's like a weird thing that happens when they do this with the same actor playing two characters where it looks like they were shot in two different universes because they never look like they're the same size. Like something I always notice in this show, in this episode is that Callie looks a lot bigger than his brother in the scenes. Like he's proportionately bigger compared to the shots. Like there's just something slightly off with the brother shots where he's got like a little bit of a pinhead and it's like that is the tell to me to me that is the tell well donnie doesn't slouch right he's 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 proud professor of math of math (laughs) (laughs) he's like three minus one is two whatever happened to this thing that he was supposed to be at some conference in italy like that was a lie like he wasn't at some conference in italy or whatever possible to check out well he certainly (laughs) wasn't at the cabin in the adirondacks they made that pretty clear And for people that have been um, so-called estranged for so many decades, Callie sure does spend a lot of time at his brother and sister-in-law's house. They're estranged, but apparently he's there all the fucking time. (laughs) (laughs) They're so estranged he was there two weeks ago, but they're totally estranged. They never see each other. Never. (laughs) Suspicious shit. I wanted to point out that when late in the episode, they have to try and figure out if Donald Lonigan had stayed at a hotel and they had no idea where it could have been in the city at the time of the murder. And if you note, Briscoe and Green are at their desks. Let's figure he checks in someplace nearby, say, within a 20-block radius of the station. Uh-huh, nothing too fancy. The college professor's not going to rest his head at some hooker hotel. No, he'd pick something clean and sensibly priced. Lenny is circling different coordinates on a paper map. And Green has a laptop. Mm, and they figured it out in five minutes with no investigation. And they figured it out almost immediately. Yeah. <laughs> because they came at it multi-platform. So they knew that was how they were going to narrow it down. Yeah, that's right. They didn't want to go to no hooker motel as if he knew what, where those would be. Yeah. And that's how they narrow it down from 7,000 hotels to the right one. Mm, immediately. It takes them five minutes. Meanwhile, Carmichael feels so bad for dropping all that work on Van Buren. She's like, here's what you guys need to do. I'm sorry. As she puts her beautiful hat on and walks out of the office. <laughs> and immediately leaves the room. <laughs> I can't be of any help to you. Yeah, remember it was your <laughs> shitty arrest to begin with. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more.
Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. What could it be? It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did you it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. Among the mob figures that inspired this episode include Whitey Bulger and his brother, Billy. In the 1970s, Whitey ran the infamous Winter Hill Gang out of South Boston. The Irish mobster was recruited by the FBI to become an informant against the rival Italian Mafia. In exchange for intelligence, his FBI handler promised to protect him from arrest. While his brother ran a crime empire, Billy Bulger graduated from law school and was a rising star in the Massachusetts Democratic Party. He was elected to the state Senate in 1970 and soon took over the powerful role of Senate President. In December 1994, Whitey Bulger got a tip that he was about to be arrested on racketeering charges. He fled and went into hiding for 16 years. In 2003, Billy Bulger asked for immunity from a congressional panel investigating his fugitive brother. Billy admitted taking a secret phone call from Whitey after he skipped town. He didn't ask his brother to turn himself in. Governor Mitt Romney forced Bulger to step down from his post as president of the University of Massachusetts. In 2011, Whitey Bulger was captured, living in Santa Monica, and was convicted for his crimes as a mobster. He was murdered in prison by a group of inmates in 2018. So obviously this is a Whitey and Billy Bulger case. I just wanted to point out, though, there is another case that may have played a little bit into this, uh, the Ronald and Reginald Cray case from the 1960s in Britain. Twin brothers, mobsters. That case was Cray. It was Cray. <laughs> <laughs> totally Cray. Whitey Bulger killed at least 19 people. Uh, fixed horse races, shook down drug dealers, ran arms for the IRA, and firebombed an elementary school to protest busing in Boston. And worst of all, Johnny Depp played him in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Unpardonable right there. Unpardonable exactly. crime. <laughs> uh, his FBI handler was John Connolly, and they both grew up in the same housing project. Uh, he became friends with the younger Bulger when young Whitey rescued him from bullies at the playground. Mm. Well, you totally have to risk your own career and your freedom to you know, let a guy know that a witness is about to testify against him on a murder charge, give him a chance to rub him out. Wasn't there a bunch of tape, too, of the FBI? Like, they knew about a bunch of murders he committed when he was out, right? Like, they knew they knew, and they didn't care because they were just, like, pumping him for info all the time. Wasn't exactly. that the this whole is, scandal? I mean, this is, tracks very closely with the fictional episode here that, yeah, the FBI was protecting him. Up to the prison murder, which they didn't know about when they wrote the episode. Up until the, that's true. That that happened many years later. Nice I, job, writers. I guess the uh, the inmates were like, "Let's rip this shit from the headlines." <laughs> no, seriously. Bulger's first murder was during a gang war in 1971. He went to hit Paul McGonigal, but instead shot his non-criminal brother Donald right between the eyes. Hmm. Uh, so- were they twins? I think they look pretty much like. Wow. I don't know if they were twins. What subject did that Donald teach? <laughs> well, the mob boss told him, don't worry about the mistake. That guy smoked. He would have died of lung cancer. <laughs> okay. So murder's fine. Uh, you, missed, you messed up Whitey. Don't worry about it. I mean, but You'll get another with chance. that logic, like, we're all going to die someday, so all murders are fine? Well, I mean, that's the way you got to look at it. <laughs> it's sort of like how on Twitter people will say, oh, LOL, nothing matters. 
<laughs> just ahead of Twitter. <laughs> YOLO. Uh, so here's how Whitey Bulger met his end. It's believed the hit was ordered by inmate Freddie Gias, the guy in prison uh, who rubbed out Big Al Bruno in Springfield. Bulger was transferred uh, to a federal penitentiary in West Virginia. The very next day, he was found beaten by inmates with a lock in a sock. Mm. And his eyes had been gouged out and his tongue nearly ripped out. So, if a thing is worth doing, oh, it's worth doing well. Oh, my God. Do you think it was a message? Uh, yes. <laughs> I think it may have been more than one. Message delivered. Yeah. He was 89. I'm no criminologist, but that sounds like a message to me. <laughs> I mean, he was 89 at the time. Yeah. And, uh, and in a wheelchair. Yep. So I mean, he wasn't able to run away from a guy with a lock and a sock. Fuck. Yeah, that's rough. It is. <laughs> I can't even make a joke about it. He's an old man in a wheelchair. And uh, you could make a decent case that he had what was coming to him. But that is bad. It's real bad. But wasn't it also the case at the time where his lawyers or somebody was like, look, if you move him to another prison, he's going to be dead the, the next day, if not that day. And that's pretty much what happened. Yes. Yeah. And they don't suspect the lawyers, though, huh? I'm <laughs> just saying. Shut up, Kevin. <laughs> cool it, Kevin. <laughs> so Billy Bulger, uh, he was asked during that secret phone call, why didn't he ask his brother to turn himself in? And he said, I didn't think it was in his best interest. Yeah, because he's his brother. I don't know why like we expect that like just because somebody's on the straight and narrow and they have a crooked brother, like they don't also love their brother, right? I mean, that is a thing. Yeah, I think at the time, though, he was the Senate president for the state of Massachusetts. Yeah. Did he not have an obligation? Uh, and I think he was also a lawyer. He was a lawyer, too. So but an also, obligation like, is a he might have an obligation to say it, but if he knows it's not going to happen, like, he think his brother's going to be like, all right, I'll do it. No, like, he knows it's not going to happen. It would be like me saying to you, like, hey, Kevin, um, do the laundry twice today. It's not going to happen. Like, it's, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> look, bro, I know you killed all those people and did all that horrible stuff, and you've been in hiding for a decade and a half, but really, you got to just come in, man. Seriously. Yeah, I mean... And I remember this is the, the first time that I ever heard about the Bulgers. Mm -hmm. I was going to school in Boston at the time that that news story broke. And I remember, I feel like I remember at least hearing some Boston talk radio where they were like, actually, there's a lot of people in this town who are they're like family's family. I totally get why he did that. Totally. And I think outside of Boston, they maybe felt like people wouldn't get it. But inside Boston, they felt like people would. Oh, but the radio stations were trolling Billy Bulger. They had a campaign that was, where's Whitey? Where's Whitey Billy? Yeah. Uh, that this investigative committee also asked him what he thought his brother did for a living. <laughs> and Billy Bulger said, it was always, always kind of vague to him. <laughs> As it would be. <laughs> that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our very, very special guest, Brady Carlson. Brady, where can our listeners follow you online? You can find me uh, anytime there's a social media platform that has the screen name Brady Carlson, all one word. That's where I'm at. Rebecca Lavoie, how can our listeners follow you? On Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyright Act Fair Use Exemption for Criticism, 
and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Other Stories was recorded in the Yoko Loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.